Hi, y'all. I've heard from a lot of you that we have new listeners, and we're delighted that you're here. Welcome to Voices in the River. This is Rebecca Allman. We are gathered today to disrupt some narratives about women and power, ancestors and magic. Our guest today, who is sitting on the bank of the river with me, is Dr. Sarah Laszlo. Okay, so before we start, um, just take a stretch. You feel really tight. I am really tight. Oh, you can always feel it, Rebecca. You always know. Oh, and just take a couple of breaths and just shake it off. Yeah, let's get into the flow. Deep breath, deep breath. Okay. Ah, better. All right. Okay. Sarah is a cognitive neuroscientist. She's a founder, and she's a computational technologist. Now, I don't really know what these things are, but she'll tell you as we get into the show. She is a scientist, and I believe, an oracle for our time. We're going to begin by lighting a candle. And I'm going to shuffle the cards from the Mystical Shaman Oracle deck. Mm. And I'm so curious about what card we'll get today. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> the owl. The owl? Ooh. The owl. Beware the owls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the owls are not what they seem. They are not. <laughs> owl is the master of the night. She can see situations with perfect clarity, more so when it is dark, and is able to discern truth when others are sightless. Look around you, notice every detail, and find the hidden messages brought to you by Owl. Do not shoot the messenger. Be grateful to the friend who shows you what you have not wanted to see until now. Do not be afraid of the truth, as it will become your compass. I'm looking. I turned off the light because I felt like it was too bright in here to be owl, so I turned the light off. <laughs> oh, I love it. Let, let's be, have a somatic uh, yeah. experience of the owl. It was much too bright in here for owl. So uh, I want to talk to you about how you hold the paradox mm-hmm. between science and mystery or science and magic. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot. There's a lot of times as a scientist where you might say the phrase, my intuition is this, my intuition is that. And usually what that means is I've read a thousand papers about this. I've done 50 other experiments that were just like this. And I don't want to describe all of that to you right now, but I can take all of that information in and reflect to you back that it gives me an intuition, like all of that practice that I have, all of that study, all of that learning gives me an intuition. And I can't really maybe describe it right now, but I have it. And I'm going to say my intuition is telling me that's not going to work. And actually developing that intuition is something that students really need to do. It's one of the most important parts of being a graduate student, actually, because when you come in as a graduate student, you're really smart. Most graduate students are really smart. What they learn in grad school isn't how to be smarter, it's how to develop that intuition and be able to sort of know what's going to happen without wasting their time, like testing everything out. Another part of it is practicing something so much that it seems like magic when other people watch you do it. Hmm. I remember when I was a graduate student, my mentor, Kara Fettermeyer, 
would come into the lab and she would do all this stuff. And I, how does she do that? It's magic. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And then 10 years later, when I became a professor, my students would say the same thing about me. <laughs> and there was no like moment where I was like, oh, I learned the secret incantation. Now I can do the magic. It was just like practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing over years and years and years and years. And you get to be able to do things that are subtly different and subtly better from the way that someone that hasn't tried whatever you're doing is doing. And so it looks like magic, but it's not. It's practice and it's effort, but it looks like magic. So that's, that's sort of how I think about that. I, I agree to some mm-hmm. extent, mm-hmm. and I also mm-hmm. think it's that ability. It's almost like the message of the owl. It's mm. the ability that you're so practiced that you do yeah. have that ability to see subtle cues. Yes, I think the owl is a perfect card for that because it is. you do sort of see secret messages. You, you see and you notice small details that someone else might not. But you would say that's based on skill and practice and data, not on mystery. Mm. I think so, but I think it sort of gives the appearance of mystery. It sort of seems mysterious. When I was in grad school, a lot of people would joke like I could see the future, like I was psychic. I knew what was going to happen in the future. And a lot of the other students joked this. Like it was very, like a lot of people said that about me. And one of my best other friends was like, Sarah, you're a witch. Like we would always joke about that. And finally, one day my my mentor heard us talking about that. And she was like, no, Sarah, you're not. You're just very observant. <laughs> back to like sort of like the oracles of like ancient like classical times and thought I would have been great at that like I would have been a great oracle and people might have thought that I was a witch and that I was psychic but it would have been because I was observant but I would have been good I would have been a great oracle if I if that was the only career path that was open to me you know 500 years ago well and you might just be a great oracle now Maybe. You and I even had this conversation once, Rebecca. I said, of course I'm not magical. And you said, yes, you are. And I thought, all right, (laughs) maybe I am. (laughs) And for the people listening, when you talk about graduate school and your work and really being able to see, I mean, you are a futurist in some ways. Will you explain to me what you do? Oh, man. So right now I work on artificial intelligence. Um, I work on financial artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence that can predict financial transactions. Of course, here we're talking about magic. And so in most situations where I say that, I would say, of course, it's impossible to predict the future. But here I'll say, like, it's very difficult to predict the future. (laughs) So especially of finance. Yeah. Yeah, And you're a trained neuroscientist. I I am a trained neuroscientist. Yes. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a trained neuroscientist? Uh, as opposed to untrained. As opposed to untrained, yeah. Untrained neuroscience is very dangerous. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything, to, especially human neuroscience. You shouldn't do anything to hu- human brains if you're not trained. That's not a good, I don't recommend that. That's not a good idea. Um, yeah, so my PhD that I, I got from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, is in brain and cognitive science. Um, and at that time, I studied uh, how the human brain reads, like what goes on in your brain when you're reading. And later as a professor, I studied what changes in your brain when you're a little kid and you're learning how to read. So when you start out, you don't know how, and your brain is in one state. And later on, you do know how, and your brain has changed to make that happen over those years. And so that's what, that's what I would study. Well, I would say that reading, learning how to read mm-hmm. is magic. Oh, 
oh yeah, absolutely. This was totally my pitch when I was when I first started grad school. I was like, how does that happen? You look at these squiggles of ink on the page and you get like, you know, the example I used to give was you see the word cake, right? You see the word cake and it's just these squiggles of ink on a page. It doesn't look like a cake. It doesn't smell like a cake. You can't lick it. It doesn't taste like a cake. But you see this word and you get like, you remember every birthday party you ever had and which cakes you had and that you do like chocolate and you don't like coconut and that you think pineapple is kind of weird and all of this stuff just from these little squiggles of ink. It is. It's incredible. All of that is magic. The way the brain works yeah. is magic to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is magic. I mean, it is very much magical in the sense that we don't understand. <laughs> we don't understand how it works. Like we know it works. We can see it working, but we understand very little of how it works. So I would imagine that your views about science and magic may be in contrast to many of your colleagues. Yeah. I th maybe. I mean, I'm always struggling to build my credibility because I'm the only woman in the room and it wouldn't help for me to come in and say, hey, everyone, I'm a witch. Like that would, <laughs> that would not, that would not help. I don't think like for better or worse, I don't think that would help. Um, but it, it makes me really think about, there's this book by Patrick Rothfuss that's called The Name of the Wind. It's a fantasy novel. And the way that magic works in this book, you know, magic works differently in different books. The way it works in this book is in order to do magic, you have to be able to believe two things in your head at the same time with equal power at once. So you have to be able to believe that gravity exists and also that it doesn't exist. And that's the only way that you can fly. Will you say that one more time? That is believe yeah. that. <laughs> you have to be able to believe that gravity exists and gravity doesn't exist, both at the same time, with equal certainty. And that's the only way you can fly. That's how magic works in the name of the wind. And I think for me, like, certainly when I'm, like, doing science, when I'm sitting there programming or doing experiments or whatever, like my primary tool that I'm using is the scientific method and my intuition as we discussed. But at the same time, I hold in my head with equal strength the belief that I can come to a lot of understanding about myself and other people through things like the tarot. And so I think this concept of being able to hold two things in your head at the same time is, is, is how I think it works. Like, I want to use just the facts when I'm trying to, like, figure out my science, science problems. But uh, at the same time, I can believe that I can learn a lot about myself and other people by understanding them through magic. So I also want to talk to you a little bit about the jaguar. Will you tell me the story yes. of the jaguar? Yeah. So the first time that you and I met, uh, you pulled a card from the, the same deck, I believe, as you just pulled Owl from, and uh, you pulled Jaguar for me. At the time, I was um, just about getting ready to go do a big job interview for a job that I was trying to get. And, and you explained to me about Jaguar similarly to the way that you explained to me about Owl just now. Which Jaguar is at the top of the food chain, mm -hmm. quite powerful. She's quite powerful because of her instinct. You know, mm -hmm. She follows mm -hmm. what's on the periphery and all of her senses. Yeah, and we sort of, through the exercise and through talking about the job interview, came to the understanding that like I, I could be Jaguar. It wasn't like Jaguar was my pet. I could be Jaguar. Um, and this idea of like Jaguar like being powerful and Jaguar protecting other people. But what, what stuck with me about it even now, like two years later, is just the thought of having this powerful Jaguar within me, this powerful entity being a part of me. That's what I kind of took from it. 
And let's talk about power. Mm-hmm. As I recall, as you were getting ready to step into your power and step into yeah. a new way that you held yourself a- as Jaguar, mm-hmm. how, yeah, how does your sense of power shifted? Yeah, it's something that I've been really working on, not just with you, but also in my in my day-to-day life of trying to remember that lesson of Jaguar, that Jaguar is a part of me. Jaguar isn't conferred on me by someone else. I'm not Jaguar because my boss says I'm Jaguar or because I have a PhD in Jaguar or because I bought, you know, the top 10 Jaguar hints or whatever. I'm Jaguar because that's that's a part of me. And what that means is that it also can't be taken away from me. I don't have it because of what my job is or where I am. I have it. I just have it, period. And just trying to remember that is is hard sometimes. It's hard to remember. And so I've been having to sort of repeat that to myself. Like, no, it's not, it's not my job. It's not my title. It's me. It's me that has that. So you have Jaguar and power. Yes, I have Jaguar and power. It's too much. My energy, my energy is too strong. I've had that. I've, I've had people say that to me before. Too. Yeah. So yeah, you know, people say that to me. Talk to me about being too much. I mean, I'm too much for a lot of people. Uh, I'm, I'm big. I'm loud. I talk fast. I don't talk down to people or I try not to. I know a lot of things. Um, I got a lot of energy. People, people ask me all the time if I can bottle it. So I guess that's my magic potion. If I could put my energy in a bottle, it would be my potion. Um, I have strong opinions. I I'm very often am the only woman in the room I'm in, but also the most experienced about whatever we're talking about mm-hmm. in the room that I'm in. And that is very hard for people, I've observed. Like yes. it is it is very challenging for an extremely powerful, extremely experienced, extremely smart, big, loud woman. That's a, that's a recipe for too much. That's a recipe for too much <laughs> in my experience. So that's hard. That's hard too. Like try not to make myself smaller all the time. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and talk her and sort of talking like this and like, oh, that's so great. Oh, you did such a good job. Oh, that's such a good point. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, it's very hard. It's very hard not to go into that. You know, I work with a lot of super smart women. I also, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a really big woman and I'm really yeah. loud. Yeah. And it's yeah. so hard to not make yourself small. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to put us in a box. It's hard. You know, in the South, we say, don't keep your light under a bushel. Yeah. It's, it's hard to stay out of that box. It's hard. It's really hard. I have to think about it every meeting that I'm in every single day. And it's exhausting too. Yeah. to like constantly like you're in a meeting and you're doing whatever's going on in the meeting. And that's not easy. But then on top of it, you're also like 100% of the time, every movement that your face makes, every sound that comes out of your mouth, trying to find exactly the right line between putting yourself in the box and being too much. It's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you have to say that's a little too much? Like disrupt the narrative for us, Sarah. Disrupt the narrative? Oh my gosh. You just gave me a lot of power, Rebecca, by offering me the opportunity to say that. That's my job. To say what I want. To help Uh, you with power. You know, I think I'll say what's coming to mind because I'm supposed to be owl and paying attention to the very small signs and looking for the messages. Believing you can do it Believing, actually believing that you can do it, whatever it is, believing that you can do it 
is one of the most disruptive things. Like mm. I have had a lot of students over the years, not just students, but also, you know, junior employees and interns and all kinds of things like that. All very smart, like very, very smart, very, very motivated. And I think one of the things that stands between people that are just starting out in their career and even some people that have been around for a while is just not believing that they can do it. Mm. I think a lot of the reason that I have been able to be successful and a lot of the advice that I give other people often just boils down to believing that you can do it. If instead of stopping yourself from taking that class or trying that project or asking for that raise or asking for someone to report to you, just believe that you can do it and see how far it takes you. I, I would like to say, though, I think there is belief, but society is constructed in a way to keep powerful women Oh, yeah. In check. Yeah. So there's this belief that those constructs don't exist in addition mm -hmm. to this belief in yourself, would you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I was just thinking like what I would say next was like, we're constantly being bombarded by messages that you can't or that you shouldn't or that that's not your place, right? right. Like not you don't your place. see... You don't go like into the media and see a lot of female or even into the media or into the boardroom and see a lot of female like science executives. <laughs> like, that's not something you see. You don't see that. And so I, I wouldn't say believing they don't exist because they do exist, but ignoring them. Yeah. Ignore the loud blaring messages that say you can't do it and be owl and listen for the little all the little tiny ones inside you and around you that say you can do it. Oh, Sarah, that's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> shucks. What's your intention um, about what you want to bring to your space and your new life? Oh, man. I want to I wanna hold on to what we talked about about Jaguar earlier and remember that the power that I have belongs to me and not where I work or what my job title is or my salary or anything, any of those things. Um, and I just started this job two weeks ago tomorrow, and I don't want to let myself get put in the box. We talked about being too much and getting put in the box. And right when I'm, right when I'm starting something new, I found is when it's the most dangerous. It's when it's the easiest to feel like, all right, I want to make these people around me comfortable. So I'm going to put myself in the box. But the thing about that is, is you never can really fully come out of the box once you put yourself in it. So I want to, I want to intend to not put myself in the box. I'm going to read the invitation of the Jaguar just to mm -hmm. put a point on your intention. Jaguar calls you to explore beyond the walls that confine you, mm -hmm. to go outside your normal routine, to push your limits and boundaries. She is delivering an invitation from your own future to investigate the unknown to venture into the mystery and the dark places you have been reluctant to explore. Mm -hmm. Toss all caution to the wind. Know that your jaguar instinct will serve you well. So may it be and so it is, Sarah. She doesn't want me to be in the box either. No, she doesn't. <laughs> jaguar has spoken. Yes, perfect. A perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Thank Rebecca. Thank you. Speaking of AI and neuroscience and things that I don't understand, there is an algorithm. 
And if you are willing to help us with the algorithm, please go to Apple and write a review. Thank you so much. Voices in the River was created by Theo Balcom. And if you'd like to work with me, my website is RebeccaAlman.com. That's Rebecca, A-U-M-A-N.com.